Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Dr. John talking to you live from my recording studio in the beautiful Pearl River, Louisiana. And that's another wonderful day. You might hear some outdoor sounds like birds chirping, dogs, ducks, geese flying, uh, other things that uh, cars going by. So don't be uh, alarmed. So, anyway, I want to talk to you tonight about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. Um, and this tells us how uh, the sermon explains to us uh, what Jesus has empowered us uh, to live. And he explains a lot of other things that we'll go over. And this is in Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 5, well, actually Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And uh, we're going to go over, at the most, chapter uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And that's what I'm going to read right now. But before, to, before we do that, I'd like to pray. Father, I just pray that you lead and guide as I communicate uh, Matthew Henry's sermon notes or commentaries on this uh, greatest sermon that Jesus preached and has ever been preached. And Father, I ask that you lead and guide in Jesus' name. Amen. The greatest sermon, the Beatitudes, is also known as the Beatitudes. And Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up to a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And I'm going to read Matthew Henry's commentary on this sermon. And I really enjoyed reading it, studying it, and, and uh, meditating on it, and, and applying, trying to apply it uh, to my life. And with some success, um, I want to let you know that uh, I'm a tourist counselor now for the state of Louisiana. And uh, if you'd like to come by and meet me, I'm at uh, Highway 59 Welcome Center. Uh, some days I work three days a week. I uh, enjoy it. I enjoy meeting people, welcoming them to Louisiana, and helping them find some uh, good places to eat, uh, good places to see, and uh, just enjoy their time in Louisiana. If I can help be of assistance to you with that, please get in touch with me. Now I'm going to read, tell you a little bit about Matthew Henry uh, to begin with. And I've written it on the notes of the episode. So Matthew Henry was born 18 October 1662 to 22nd of June 1714. He left this earth. That was his uh, period on earth. He was a nonconformist minister and author, born in Wales, but spending mu- much of his life in England. He is best known for his six-volume biblical commentary exposition of the Old and New Testaments. By the age of nine, Henry was able to write Latin and read part of the Greek New Testament. Henry was ordained on May 9, 1687, by a group of six nonconformist ministers. He presented a paper written in Latin as a part of his ordination. He then became minister of a new Presbyterian congregation in Chester. Uh, Some 
evangelical Protestant preachers such as George Whitfield and Spurgeon used and used and heartily commended commended the work with Whitfield reading it through four times, the last time on his knees. Spurgeon stated every minister ought to read it entirely and carefully through once at least. John Wesley, who himself published an abbreviated edition of Matthew Henry's commentary. So I think that's some good um, references uh, and the commendation of this passage of this commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Perhaps the best known quotation is about the relationship between men and women. And this is from the story of the creation of Eve. And this is in his Genesis commentary. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to, to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. So that's one of his famous quotes of his commentary. And we're going to be reading uh, his commentary on uh, this, on these uh, two chapters, or three chapters, five, six, and seven. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get to it. Um, We have here a general account of this sermon. We have the preacher, the place, the auditors, and the solemnity. And this this is what the commentary is or the comments Matthew Henry makes on these two verses that I just read. As a matter of fact, I'll read them again. Hmm. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, We have a general account of this sermon. First thing is the preacher. The preacher was our Lord Jesus, the prince of preachers, the great prophet of his church who came into the world to be the light of the world. The prophets and John had done virtuously in preaching, but Christ excelled them all. He is the eternal wisdom that lay in the bosom of the Father before all worlds and perfectly knew the Father's will. And he is the eternal word by whom he has in these last days spoken to us. The many miraculous cures wrought by Christ in Galilee, which we read of in the close of the foregoing chapter, which is chapter 4 of Matthew, were intended to make way for the sermon and to dispose people to receive instructions from one in whom there appeared so much of a divine power and goodness. And probably this sermon was the summary or rehearsal of what he had preached up and down in the synagogues of Galilee. His text was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he said that after he had fasted 40 days and had been tempted of Satan, and the angels came and uh, ministered to him. That's when he started his 
public ministry, and his message was, his text was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a sermon on the former part of that text, showing what it is to repent. It is to reform both in judgment and practice. So that's what this sermon is about. It's about repenting and how to repent, to reform, and how to reform in both judgment and practice. And here he tells us wherein, in answer to that question, wherein shall we return? In other words, now that I believe, how do I live? He afterwards preached upon this latter part of the text, when in diverse parables, he showed what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's chapter 8. So, I'm sorry, 13. The place was a mountain in Galilee. As in other things, so in this, our Lord Jesus was but ill accommodated. He had no convenient place to preach in, any more than to lay his head on. While the scribes and the Pharisees had Moses' chair to sit in, with all possible ease, honor, and state, there corrupt there and there corrupted the law. Our Lord Jesus, the great teacher of truth, is driven out of the desert and finds no better a pulpit than a mountain can afford, and not one of the holy mountains neither, not one of the mountains of Zion, but a common mountain by which Christ would intimate that there is no such distinguishing holiness of places now under the gospel as there was under the law. But there is the will of God that men should pray and preach everywhere, anywhere, provided to be decent and convenient. Christ preached this sermon, which was an exposition of the law upon a mountain, because upon a mountain the law was given. And this was also a solemn promulgation of the Christian law. But observe the difference. When the law was given, the Lord came down upon the mountain. Now the Lord went up. Then he spoke in thunder and lightning, now in a still small voice. Then the people were ordered to keep their distance. Now they are invited to draw near. A blessed change. If God's grace and goodness are, as they certainly are, his glory, then The glory of the gospel is the glory that excels. For grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It was foretold of Zebulun and Issachar, two of the tribes of Galilee, that they shall call the people to the mountain. To this mountain we are called to learn to offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Now was this the mountain of the Lord, where he taught us his ways. The auditors were his disciples, who came unto him, came at his call, as appears by comparing Mark 3 and Luke 4. To them he directed his speech, because they found him for love and learning, which others attended him only for cures. He taught them, because they were willing to be taught. The meek will he teach his way because they would understand what he taught, which to others was foolishness, 
and because they were to teach others, and it was therefore requisite that they should have a clear and distinct knowledge of these things themselves. The duties prescribed in this sermon were to be conscientiously performed by all those that would enter into the kingdom of heaven, which they were sent to set up with hope to have the benefit of it. But though this discourse was directed to the disciples, it was in the hearing of the multitude. For it is said, the people were astonished. No bounds were set about this mountain to keep the people off, as were about Mount Sinai. For through Christ, we have access to God, not only to speak to him, but to hear from him. Nay, he had an eye to the multitude in preaching this sermon. He took the opportunity of so great a confluence of people to instruct them. Note, it is an encouragement to be a faithful minister to cast the net of the gospel where there are a great many fishes in hope that some will be caught. The sight of a multitude puts life into a preacher, which yet must arise from a desire of their of their profit, not for his own praise. And fourthly, the solemnity of his sermon is intimated in that word, when he was set. Jesus preached many times occasionally, and by interlocution, interlocution luxion discourses and this was a set uh, but this was a set sermon when he had placed himself so as to be best heard it was set he sat down as a judge or a lawgiver he intimates with what sedateness and composure of mind things of god should be spoken and heard he sat with the scriptures might be fulfilled. He sat that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He shall sit as a refiner to purge away the dross, the corrupt doctrines, the corrupt doctrines of the sons of Levi. He sat as in the throne, judging right, for the word he spoke shall judge us. That phrase, he opened his mouth, is only a Hebrew paraphrase of speaking. Yet, some think it intimates the solemnity of this, of this discourse. The congregation being large, he raised his voice and spoke loudly, louder than usual. And you can see, louder than usual is this gun being shot on somebody else's property. But they're just, you know, target practice. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong, not, nothing wrong with having guns and... Uh, protecting yourself. He has spoken long by his servants, the prophets, and opened their mouths. But now he opened his own and spoke with freedom as one having authority. One of the ancients had this remark upon it. Christ taught much without opening his mouth. That is, by his holy and exemplary life. Nay, he taught, when being led as a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. But now he opened his mouth and taught that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Doth not wisdom cry 
cry on the top of high places, and the opening of her lips shall be right things. He taught them according to the promise. All the children shall be taught of the Lord. For this, for this purpose, he has had the tongue of the learned and the spirit of the Lord. He taught them that was the evil they should abhor and what was the good they should abide and abound in. For Christianity is not a matter of speculation, but is designed to regulate the temper of our minds and the tenure of our conversation. Gospel time is a time of reformation, and by the gospel we must be reformed, must be made good, must be made better. The truth, as it is in Jesus, is the truth which is according to godliness. So we're going to start in on the Sermon on the Mount, on uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, going over the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But we'll do that next time. What I'd like to do now is just give you a summary of Matthew chapter 5. This chapter and the two that follow it, or actually on the Sermon on the Mount, is this chapter and the two that follow it are a sermon, a famous sermon, the Sermon upon the Mount. It is the longest and fullest continued discourse of our Savior that we have upon record in all the Gospels. It is a practical discourse. Not, there is not much of credenda of Christianity in it, the things to be believed but it is wholly taken up with the agenda, the things to be done. These Christ began with in his preaching. For if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God. Do it, and you'll know it's God's will. It's his teaching. The circumstances of the sermon being accounted for, the sermon itself follows the scope of which is not to fill our heads with notions, but to guide and regulate our practice. Again, it's doing it. And by doing it, you will know it's God's will. It's not something to philosophize about or to talk about or to tell somebody else to do and for you to discuss doing. It's to do just what the uh, the Beatitudes are. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Jesus was very practical. Circumstances of the sermons were accounted for. The sermon itself follows the scope, which is not to fill our heads with notions, but to guide and regulate our practice. He proposes blessedness, happiness as the end, and gives us the character of those who are entitled to blessedness. And this is very different from the sentiments of a vain world. In eight, in eight Beatitudes, which may justly be called paradoxes. He prescribes duty as the way and gives us standing rules of that duty. He directs his disciples to understand what they are, the salt of the earth and the lights of the world. That's in verses 13 through 16 of chapter 5. To understand what they have to do, they are to be governed by the moral law. Here is a general ratification of the law and a recommendation of it to us as our rule. 
not suggestion, as our rule. Verses 17 through 20. A particular uh, rectification of divers' mistakes, or rather a reformation of divers' willful gross corruptions, which the scribes and the Pharisees had introduced in the exposition of the law, and an authentic explication of divers' branches, which most needed to be explained and vindicated. Verse 20. Particularly here is an explication of the sixth commandment, which forbids murder, verses 21 to 26, of the seventh commandment against adultery, 27 through 32, of the third commandment, verses 33 through 37, of the law of retaliation, verses 38 through 42, of the law of brotherly love, verses 43 through 48. And the scope of the whole is to show that the law is spiritual. So that's what we're going to be discussing, the Sermon on the Mount. And we've gone over the first two verses. Again, if I can help you, feel free to contact me at WSM217 at gmail.com. And I hope you uh, have a blessed day. And again, I want to encourage you to stop by the Welcome Center on Highway 59, coming from Mississippi, um, and say hi, Brother John, and uh, I'll show you some good places to go and eat, uh, some good places to see if you like history. Um, the, the French Quarter is filled with history. Uh, we have the second most uh, popular museum in the world, World War II Museum. It's awesome. Excellent food there. Um and New Orleans is a very interesting city in itself. Oh, sure, it's Sin City and all of that, and, but it's also uh, a spiritual city, both good and bad. And you'd like, I could show you around that too. Um, but we're going to stay uh, with the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be reading Matthew Henry's commentary about the sermon. It's excellent. So God bless you. And we pray and we'll, and we'll be closed out. Father, I just thank you for your grace and mercy in allowing me to read this sermon and discuss this sermon uh, on Law Talk Radio. And as I heard the gunshots ring, I think of the freedom that we have in this country that a lot of countries don't allow. The freedom to, hold, uh, to have arms, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to discuss Jesus Christ in public places. And I, I pray for uh, uh, pray for Drew Brees. He comes out and he uh, publicly says that uh, he stands with focus on the family and there is such a, a backlash to that in the media, in popularity, and now he's politically incorrect. I pray for his family for protection. I pray for his healing of his hand. We thank God that you're such a blessing, and I I pray for him and uh, the team that he plays on, the saints, that they truly be saints, and and, uh, I know that some of them are. And I just pray for their well-being. And I pray, Father, for the glory that Jesus Christ is exalted through the testimony of Drew Brees and other brothers on the Saints team. 
I mean, I know it's not the only team that has Christians. But I pray that we would sound out like I heard those gunshots sounding. And it's a distinct sound amongst a dark world. Now I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you here, there, or in the air.